Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Shanti Iyer. Shanti is the Chief Information Officer of DocuSign, an electronic signature and agreement cloud company that earns more than $2.5 billion in annual revenue. She's been in role for a bit more than two years, and she and her team have been tasked with helping the organization scale. Among the ways in which Shanti has done that has been by enhancing employee experience, customer experience, process automation, and by crafting a data strategy for the company. Shanti knows scaled operations quite well as she spent more than two decades at Cisco, ending her tenure there as a senior vice president of the data and analytics office. Shanti, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you very much, Peter. Yes, well, Shanti, let's begin with DocuSign, uh, a company that most would pro- will probably be familiar with, a company that's in fact has become a verb uh, and a product line that became essential during COVID for so many of us, uh, especially. Uh, describe DocuSign, DocuSign's business as it current, currently stands, if you would. Sure, happy to. So at, at DocuSign's value proposition is we provide smarter, easier, and trusted agreements. I'd almost say that we are probably the only company in the world that actually connects the agreement process end-to-end for every customer. Even though we started our premise from Signature and we were primarily starting, I think our business was primarily towards or catered towards, um, I want to say commercial and SMB kind of business. But over a period of time, if, I mean, this is literally the 20th year of DocuSign. Uh, we celebrated our 20th year birthday here. I think we have expanded our capabilities to actually understand and modulate the agreement process. There is a lot of work that happens before the actual digital signature in kind of drafting the agreement, the negotiation, et cetera. And then there are a lot of things that happen after the agreement is signed, which is managing and maintaining the agreements, obligation management, et cetera. So we do all of that. Even though we are known for our signature, I just want to say that coming in and learning about that entire agreement lifecycle process has been a great journey for me. And I'm looking forward to, you know, what's to come. I think exciting times. Well, fascinating. And talk a bit more about your role as the chief information officer of the company. What are some of the areas of focus for you and what's within your purview in that role? As with any traditional CIO, I run and manage the company's infrastructure, desktop services, end user management, device management, you know, of course, buildings, wireless, et cetera, right? Um, But that is not necessarily the part that is exciting. Where we have taken our journey is more around application transformation, DocuSign grew too fast. And during COVID, we had a really great, um, you know, revenue growth. And we also solved that kind of scale problem by throwing bodies at the problem. So I would say uh, the past year has been really transforming our business processes. It has been about upgrading all our technology platforms and kind of bringing it to a modern infrastructure state. But what is coming now in front of us is really a, removing friction across, yeah? So it's not just our internal employees systems, but also customer-facing systems. So anything from go-to-market to, to uh, commerce, to customer success, to support, uh, we, we are looking at a customer's lifecycle journey and where we touch the customer and literally looking at the systems that power those journey and removing friction from that. Um, And that is easier said than done because a lot of times it involves changing, you know, our business process, really looking at what systems that power and going and really building the new pipes. Um, It's been quite an interesting journey. The other area that we have 
I want to say taken off a, uh, a bit more aggressively is data. Considering that I come from data background, I saw that as an area of opportunity at DocuSign. Um, we did not have mature practices uh, around data, data management, treating the data as a, as a big asset for us. And that's an area of focus right now um, for me and my team. Certainly a meaty set of uh, responsibilities, to say the least. And I want to talk a bit about that that process transformation. What an interesting area to focus on, certainly. And I can only imagine it really has drawn you into some deep collaboration with your fellow colleagues, as this is probably, uh, you know, involves uh, the entire organization in one way, shape or form. Can you talk a bit about the way in which your team engages the rest of the organization in order to identify the processes as well as go through the, 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 the process of changing those in order to uh, optimize them? So one of the one of the things that I did early on when I got here, Peter, is I restructured my group to play roles like they were product owners. Yeah, it's like almost you could call it product management. And so, you know, if someone's managing our core ERP, if someone's managing our core go-to-market set of tools, then we call them either a service owner or a product owner for that set of tools. What that helped do is create an ongoing, consistent engagement with that business. Yeah. The reason I put emphasis in that was we did not want to be order takers. We didn't want the business to go figure out what they want to do and then come and tell me, okay, now go solve it in Salesforce or now go solve it in Oracle. We wanted to be part of that journey in identifying where the problems were and we wanted to help co-design it with them, with the business. So we created a structure where I, you know, we have product owners and product development or product engineering. So that helped understand deeply where the pain points were in terms of friction. Yeah, that's the first, you know, uh, I, I would say order of battle. The second order of battle was really prioritizing with the business because once you engage that closely and deeply with the business, they think you can solve world hunger. <laughs> so they dump everything on you and then they tell you, okay, fix it now. So my goal was to really prioritize the order in which we would go after solving some of these pain points. We created what we called a transformation office. You know, you could call it a portfolio prioritization and program office. That is kind of bottom line what they did. So they bring all these requests from various product owners together. And then we would whittle it down to really which uh, you know initiatives have the biggest bang for the buck. And in terms of dependencies and prioritization, what goes first? Like, and how soon can we deliver that? And understanding that effort uh, required from my teams and then going and telling the company, okay, we are going to deliver this roadmap for us. And really establishing that, I call it integrated roadmap so that, Everybody in the company knows that, you know, some of them require three or four teams in the business to participate. We can't have sign off from one and not sign off from the other. So how do we really march, you know, right foot forward, left foot forward in unison, right? And that helps build speed in the delivery, I felt. So the transformation office and this product management structure helped in driving that conversation with the business. And I think that's working very well right now. Very interesting. And you talked a bit about the role that your team is playing to impact employee as well as customer experience. And I wonder how you think about each of those and the extent to which there are commonalities between those. There are obvious differences naturally given those different constituent groups. But um, how do you think about uh, 
some of the overlap, the extent to which you do it all uh, versus the, the, the unique aspects of what you're doing in each area? I think the first thing we did was to start from the customer's experience, primarily because, you know, what the employees do internally are also at some point catered towards the customer from their role and their persona. So if it's a seller, at the end of the day, they are also servicing a customer. So the first and foremost, the task we did was we created what we called an architecture blueprint, which was a process footprint of a customer's lifecycle journey. So if the customer comes to our website and then they try a product and then they move towards buying a product and then they move towards using the product, you know, each of that is serviced internally by some team at DocuSign. So we started first with really drawing that blueprint of a customer's journey. Then we mapped it to an employee's footprint. So if you're in a sales, what do you do? If you're in customer success, what do you do? And where are those interactions or the touch points between us and the customer? Those actually literally became, I would say that digital architecture footprint became, um, I want to say our blueprint for how we went after priority. What are the, and we kind of would see a heat map in some areas. Like if it is very red in terms of customers interaction with us because it's very manual. and if for example, the internal tools in that area are very outdated, then that kind of created a heat map for me and said, okay, focus on this. This is where the biggest bang for the buck is. You know, um, It was helping in putting spotlight with the business and also forcing a prioritization conversation with them. You know, Exactly. I also want to talk to you about the, the data journey that you've been on. What an interesting one and, and how lucky the organization was to have somebody who, as I mentioned earlier, was the senior vice president of data analytics mm -hmm. uh, at, at Cisco, an order of magnitude or more larger business than the one you're currently in. So you knew what good looked like at scale. Talk mm -hmm. a bit about translating what you knew into a new environment like uh, that which you found in DocuSign. Yes. Yeah. So the, you know, one of the things that I did early on when I started the data office for DocuSign was I said, hey, there are some things that business should not be spending time doing. A good example of that is if you are all managing your own data platforms, that's a colossal waste of time. And it's also a waste of money for DocuSign. There is only one team that should be providing all technologies for data work. That includes data platforms, data pipes, data toolkits, an AI lab, you know, where people want to do AI, but, you know, you don't need to manage the, the CICD for AI, you know. The, so the first thing I did was I consolidated and took over all the technology part of the equation. The second thing I went after was if there are, there are areas where we do it once but leverage it many times, then those data management efforts I took on right? Because I told the company, why would we need to bring opportunity, commerce, agreements, any data that are, that is required by sales, it's required by customer success, it is required by product to show it to the customer itself. Why would we want each of us to do it three or four times across the company? So if I can bring the data from all the systems of record once, cleaned it or cleansed it and created a golden record and then exposed it, all of you can consume that data. So that tells me the customer's lifecycle journey, a product's journey in a customer site, 
those data I have access to. This is why I feel CIO has is in a very unique position because you pretty much control and own most of those systems of record. So you are in the best position to create that golden record or the digital footprint. And since I've done it before, I created a platform called Helios. You know, it was just a cool name that the team picked. I, I told my business, anytime somebody comes and shows key KPIs, companies, operational metrics, your first question should be, did that come from Helios? If it didn't come, you should not believe or trust that data because then someone's cooking it up in their desktop, right? And so creating that trust in the data was the second thing I went after. Now, of course, you know, AI has created a lot of buzz and AI in the hands of a non-technical person could actually be more dangerous because anybody can take a personal chat GPT account and actually cut and paste something that is sensitive and say, hey, how do I frame this conversation in an email to the customer? But inherently, you may expose certain things uh, like PII. So I'm working with the CISO now to really not have the company be more scared of AI or GPT, but really how do I create some guardrails and experiment with AI, you know, and, and how can AI really solve a problem for us versus just becoming a hype factor? Yeah, very interesting that you, the, the great work you did is position the well, the organization well to be able to do that experimentation. I realize in the grand scheme of things, and some of that, that experimentation may still be in early days. Um, are, are there use cases or value propositions that particularly excite you as you continue to explore the, the powers of large language, language models or generative AI? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I'm more excited, actually, for DocuSign as a product, in fact, because if you look at it, you know, how many of us personally sign home documents, you know, documents from the bank, etc., where we really just go to the place where it says sign here and we just sign. Most of us don't read the document and some of the documents are, you know, 50, 60 pages long. So we really just do not focus on understanding what is the document about. So where AI can help is really synthesizing and summarizing the content. What are the parties? What is the start date, end date? What is the fiscal terms of the contract? Are there any risks in the contract that you should know about? And if something can summarize that early on and say, you are signing this document and you need to know it's between you and this person. And here are the three risks. I'm like, wow, that would be awesome. And that is what we demoed at Momentum, uh, which is our customers conference this week uh, and last week. And I feel super happy about the opportunities for our product. Now, internally, we are looking at areas like a good example is support. You know, we get a lot of cases from my team. It, it could be about new hire onboarding. Hey, what are my benefits to what is my PTO? to where do I go for this? How do I get access to Salesforce? And how do I really leverage AI and generative LLM model to actually help an employee gain productivity? So that, in fact, I used to tell them at one point, go and open a case. And I'm now saying, can I service it as much as possible through uh, generative AI and actually drastically reduce case? And things that come to the case should only be things that are down, a down platform, a down system or something like that. So that is a good example of a use case that we're really looking at on how do I help my employees 
and how do I even help my customers leveraging LLM models? Yeah, very interesting indeed. I wanted to also ask you, Shanti, as somebody who is a, a, a woman in technology and somebody who's reached uh, the heights of, of a CIO role as well, what, what's your read on kind of the state of the union of women in technology, if you don't mind, uh, progress made and progress yet to come? Interestingly, I saw a lot of progress in the last five years, and I would say especially pre-COVID. And I think what COVID has done is COVID has probably made a slight dip. Like now when I look at the stats, I feel people during COVID had a lot of personal reasons to step back. And as usual, it's women who take the responsibility and the reins of managing the house and taking a a second uh, step in the career. And hence, I feel like, you know, maybe we lost our way a little bit. Um, and, and then we can, you know, we need to put some more targeted efforts to bring the numbers back to pre-COVID levels. I think COVID created a little bit of a glitch for us. Um, that said, you know, I was um, at Dublin, you know, visiting my Dublin team. I ran a women uh, forum and there is definitely hunger to do more. There is definitely an interest in learning from each other. And one of the things I I ask people to do is at every level, if you are a woman and I, you know, first become an advocate, you don't need to be a leader or a CIO or a C-suite to become an advocate. And I slightly differentiate between a mentor and an advocate because an advocate takes genuine interest and actually helps the person charter their career path and recommends this person for jobs and, you know, expands that role when this person is in your management chain versus I meet you for 30 minutes and I give you like words of advice. That is more a mentor-mentee relationship that I've seen happen a lot more frequently. But advocacy, I think, is going that extra step beyond. The other thing I also feel is I was actually <laughs> in that session at Dublin inviting all the men to join because I feel you can't just improve women representation on boards and C-suite and leadership positions and in tech without really having the men play an equal role. And I think, the, you know, so I always prefer, you know, having them in the room as well, <laughs> hearing their point of view, but also having them hear our point of view. And the other thing I would say is start early. So going to colleges and really expanding STEM, STEM representation, uh, you know, in women. And, you know, at DocuSign, we really do that from college hiring. Like if if we cannot do that in, you know, at younger age and younger in the career, then suddenly expecting them to show up at senior levels is not going to happen. So there has to be a conceited effort in the company to really go after, uh, you know, diversity at very junior levels, you know, and then grow them in the company. Does yeah. that help? That does. That's very helpful. I appreciate that overview, Shanti. I wanted to ask you also about there are a number of trends we've been talking about from generative AI to various ways in which you're you're using data, uh, customer experience, employee experience, where you just talked about uh, women in technology. Are there other, as you look to the future, other trends that particularly excite you, be they people process uh, technology or something else? What else is on your radar that 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 has you excited? The the AI is definitely the probably the biggest one that that because of my data interest, I am always curious to know what it could bring. Um, in fact, there are 
there are people that are nervous about AI. And in fact, one of the very interesting recordings I, I saw just now was by Yuval Hariri, Yuval Nova Hariri. And he actually gave a speech where he said, you know, when AI brings singularity, we were thinking about singularity where AI can match or overtake human through two methods. One was AI engines would become sentient, so it could feel and emote, or, and AI could travel space like human can. So there will be automotive cars and there, it, you know, AI can actually help with movement, physical movement. But here comes LLM and actually says an AI can take over by language. So the questions he asked was, now imagine these questions. Can AI create a new religion? How did religion come about? It is through language. Can AI now create a new religion? Can AI create culture, which also got transferred through language? Those were very interesting questions for me. I, I was super intrigued because people like me think about its applicability to a business problem. We don't really think about applicability to a community and, and society, right? So that topic was very interesting for me. So I'm always keeping myself uh, you know, kind of interested in <laughs> AI. Um, and I think what is going to happen eventually, Peter, is the systems and the capacity to manage AI models is going to become a challenge again. If AI becomes more pervasive, we all know that, you know, Sam Altman and Microsoft even has come out and said that this is not a sustainable model with having billions of parameters and having very generic AI. So at some point for it to solve problems, we need it to be trained with more targeted models. How can we have compute power to do that? And how you know is quantum computing really going to be the answer to that? Like we don't know, right? We, we have to at some point figure out, will compute power be sufficient? to manage the kind of AI scale if AI became so pervasive in every industry, which everyone wants. So how do how would we go about doing that? And I think that's going to put some pressure on energy. It's going to put some pressure on computing and some innovative ways in computing. That's one technology aspect that I'm thinking, you know, should be exciting. The other two areas that I think AI could help is also healthcare. I think it is going to probably revolutionize healthcare, especially in countries and areas where it is not pervasively available today. And I also feel we need badly something to change education. <laughs> I think if there is any vertical that needs complete transformation, I think it's education. You know, we need to have more targeted education. We need to have more personalized education. The Should we challenge the construct of a four-year college? You know, we never challenged that before. You know, that, that has not changed in decades and hundreds of years. Should we question that? And, you know, should that be something that we think through? Uh, you know, those are some of the things that come to my mind, uh, if that makes sense. And another one is always exciting is security. <laughs> With AI, there is going to be a lot of deep fix. We were listening to uh, the chairman of the board at Alphabet at the Stanford program that I attended this week. And he was saying that we don't have an answer. You know, we don't have a solution right now to recognize deep fakes. 
And so what do we do about security when you can't recognize now what is true and what is not? And I'm sure there will be some innovation there to come. Interesting topics all, Shanti. Thank you for that. I, I wanted to conclude by asking you, as you reflect on your career and your rise to your post, what have been some of the difference makers along the way, perhaps some of the mentorship that you now are paying forward uh, and advocacy that you're paying for, you benefited from uh, um, from others? Uh, you know, what, 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 are, what are some of the things that have been the difference makers as you have uh, ascended to the CIO post that you currently have? I think first and foremost, is focusing on the business outcome. I think really understanding deeply the business you support. I think that has always been a differentiator for me. I uh, have made efforts. I got a lot of feedback, uh, but I made uh, that I was a technology person. So I really wanted to in, in intentionally show up that I'm a business person. And so that had to uh, kind of register for me internally. And I had to flex a few muscles that were not very natural for me. So now it is becoming more natural. I go and understand the business. I spend time with them. I really understand what DocuSign is about. How does sales work? How does success work? And I think that has helped me uh, have a key differentiator, Peter. The second thing, as I mentioned, is feedback is a gift. It is the, the more direct and the more specific the feedback, the better I have become as a leader, I feel. Um, and it, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of self-awareness for you to absorb the feedback and actually make corrective course, you know. Um, I think that has been super helpful. And the third last one I would say that has really helped be a differentiator is continuous learning, you know. Like, you, I could easily say, hey, I'm, I've been three decades in IT, so I know I, how to run IT. I can close my eyes and run IT. Actually, it's not the case. IT's role itself is changing in the world. So, you know, how do you keep yourself educated? I always have a few people in my team who are experts in coding. Uh, you know, nothing is beyond your means to learn. You are, I think if we put our ego behind um, and really go in with an effort to understand and learn, some of the you know, lowest level people in your team can teach you most valuable lessons. That's my motto. Um, so I'm usually very accessible to my team at all levels. And I, I learn from them quite a bit, actually. And it helps me sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Shanti, you certainly sounded smart throughout this conversation. I really appreciate a, a, a wonderful set of insights reflective of this remarkable journey you've had, uh, especially during your tenure now at DocuSign. Thank you so much for, for sharing a bit of uh, your experience and insights uh, about the transformation you're leading. It's been a really terrific conversation. Thank you very much, Peter. I appreciate the honor. Thank you.